Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. His son is my favorite preacher, but you can see where his son learned how to preach. And I, I don't know that I've ever said this about you, Pastor Bob, but, you know, I've looked at you over several years now. You've got more integrity than anybody I know. Some of the things you've gone through, I, I would have got mad. I've never seen that in you one second. And, you know, as men, I'm glad I can look up to you and learn how to become a, a real man. Let's welcome this morning Pastor Bob Ely. Well, I told the, the morning service that uh, Pastor Steve calls this Generals, and last year and this year he calls it Generals too, which is his euphemism to say these guys are really old. So, and I understand that, but it's a, it's a joy to be here and to worship the Lord with you. And I'm going to do something different. Uh, we preached a different message in the early service, and I'm going to try to do something different today than I, I've never really done in this setting before, because I understand everyone here is not a father. I, I can see that. But I'm going to speak and direct the remarks primarily at fathers or would-be fathers, and hopefully the rest of you will get something out of it. Amen? Uh, but I've, I've just felt so constrained by the Holy Spirit to do this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Literally, the word helpmeet is one that comes alongside of, someone that stands by your side and holds your hand. It is someone that helps you. And out of the ground of the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl there and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3, and I want to read out of the message, it says, in a marriage relationship, there's authority from Christ to the husband and from the husband to wife. The authority of Christ is the authority of God. And then drop down to verse 7. It says, don't, by the way, read too much into the differences here between men and women. Neither man nor woman can go it alone or claim priority. Man was created first as a beautiful shining reflection of God. That is true. But the head on a woman's body clearly outshines in beauty the head of her head, the husband. The first woman came from man, true. But ever since then, every man comes from a woman. And since virtually everything comes from God anyway, let's quit growing, going through this who's first routine. I like that. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing or loving. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's loves makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And this is how husbands ought to love their wives. 
they're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Children, do what your parents tell you. This is only right. Honor your father and mother is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it, namely, so you will live well and have a long life. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the Master or the Lord. How to protect your nest. How to protect your nest. Well, the American hunter had gone to the Amazon great hunting expedition. It had lasted several days and he had been very successful. And now it's time to dismantle the camp, pack up, and go back to the homeland. And so early that morning he rises before anyone else in camp, grabs his rifle, and starts on that last early morning walk through the Amazon jungle. Just a chance to be alone, to enjoy the solitude of the moment, to enjoy the beauty of his surroundings. And so he's walking on that sunlit morning through the jungle, comes into a clearing when all of a sudden his attention is captivated. All of a sudden the silence of that morning is broken by the raucous singing of a family of birds. There is this melodious sound that is filling the jungle and, and he begins to look to find the source and he sees a nest up in the brush and in that nest is a mother bird and a bunch of little babies and a father bird. And the mother bird is busily caring for the little babies and the father is singing and they're crying back and forth to one another and the father flies through the jungle and picks up insects and brings them back to the baby and it's a beautiful scene. When all of a sudden out of his peripheral vision he sees a movement. And as he sees a movement in the brush he turns to see what it was and it is a serpent, a snake. And immediately he recognizes it as a very poisonous snake. And that snake is slithering silently through the brush. His eye is focused on one thing, and that is that nest of baby birds. Breakfast is about to happen. The hunter throws up the rifle, sights in on the head of the serpent, takes that deep breath, lets out half, and begins to swole, slowly squeeze on the trigger. When all of a sudden, he's checked, and he decides to wait for a moment and to see what's going to happen. And that snake begins to slither toward that nest, focused on that family. And he begins to come close to the nest when all of a sudden the father bird sees the serpent. And he cries out in alarm. And immediately at the sound of the alarm, the mother bird comes and enfolds her body over those baby birds as if that could stop the strike of the serpent. And the father bird leaves the nest and, and the hunter thinks he's abandoning the family for his own safety. And he begins to fly wildly through the jungle from bush to bush and tree to tree when he stops and takes his beak and breaks off a huge leaf. And he carries that leaf back to the nest and puts it over the mother and the babies. And then he flies to a higher branch and waits. And the serpent slithers closer and closer intent on poisoning that nest. And finally, he reaches the very point that that serpent can coil in that familiar S position to strike at the nest. But the moment that he strikes, he touches the leaf, and he's repelled, and he falls from the bush. And the hunter sights in on his head and fires the rifle and kills the serpent, but he doesn't understand. And that day when he goes into the village prepared to lead, he tells that same story to the native. And he says, I just don't understand. I mean, it was just a leaf. And the native smiles and said, oh, the father bird knows how to protect his nest. There's only one thing in the jungle that will repel that poisonous serpent. And it is that leaf. The serpent is allergic to the substance in that leaf. And the father bird knew how to protect his nest. And so I ask you this morning, fathers, do you? Do we know how to protect our nest? Because we are under attack by the serpent. 
by Satan, the devil, the, the, the roaring lion, the angel of light, the old dragon. Oh, I know. We all used to believe in a devil. Now 49% of born-again Christians do not believe in a devil. They just believe that evil is some impersonal force. And yet the Bible says that he was an archangel, that he is a fallen angel, that he was lifted up in his own pride. He was called Lucifer, the son of the morning. The anointed cherubim led worship in heaven. And wanting the praise that goes to God because of his pride, he fell. And with him a third of angelic beings. So that we face a real enemy. We used to believe it. We used to sing it in Sunday school. One, two, three, the devil's after me. Four, five, six, he's always throwing sticks. Seven, eight, time, he misses every time. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Nine, eight, seven, I'm on my way to heaven. Six, five, four, rejoicing evermore. Three, two, one, the devil's on the run. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, you don't remember that one? You remember the other one? The devil is a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I would put him in the box. I'd lock that box and throw away the key for all the tricks. He's played on me. Uh, well, you know this one. I'm, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And then we'd say, not going to let the devil blow it out. See, we used to believe in the devil. The Bible describes our foe as a roaring lion. That sin lieth at the door. That the devil lieth and wait to pounce and devour. And if he cannot devour us, then he becomes an angel of light seeking whom he may deceive. And the purpose of the enemy is to attack your nest, to poison your family, to destroy the purpose of God that God created in Genesis. Amen. Jesus said he's come to steal, to snatch away your spiritual experience and your kids. He's come to kill, which is to deaden your enthusiasm, your passion. He's come to destroy, cause the loss of well-being in your family. We are under attack, and we need to know how to protect our nest. And so the Bible says that we are to eschew evil. We're to shun the appearance of evil. We're to give no place to the devil. We're to submit ourselves, therefore, unto God. We're to resist the devil, and the devil will flee from us, draw nigh unto God, and God will draw nigh unto us. Because Paul says we're under attack. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principality and power and wicked spirits in high places and the dark rulers of this present world. And what he's describing is a threefold attack to the enemy. He says, we have an internal enemy, ourselves. We wrestle not only against flesh and blood. Let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted of God. Because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. And lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, produces death. The first enemy you have is you. We used to sing it. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, O Lord. That's, amen. You're not with me this morning. Amen. I'm not getting much help. But we not only have an internal enemy, we have an external enemy. Wicked rulers in high places, demonic spirits, the dark rulers, organized evil. Do you understand that your family is under attack by the media of this generation? That there is an organized attack of outside forces and their focus is on your family to destroy your nest. And we not only have an external enemy, we have an infernal enemy. And his name's the devil. And he's like a roaring lion or an angel of light. And we have to know how to protect our... We've got to be like the father bird. What is the leaf that we can pull over our... Now, if I was talking to you personally, I'd give you a bunch of them. There's three major ones. In the book of Exodus, Moses says that when you see the blood on the doorpost, God will pass over you. The death angel, in other words, he said the blood would be a token or a leaf or a covering. And Paul says, when you've done everything you know to do to stand, stand having on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate. You with me? And Peter says, it is love that covers a multitude of falling short or sin. And so if I were preaching to you personally this morning, I'd say there's a bunch of leaves that you need to pull over your own personal nest. There's the leaf of pardon, the helmet of salvation, purity, the breastplate of righteousness, the principles of God's word, which is the shield of faith, 
that your feet would be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace that you'd have the protection of the shield of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit and praise and believing prayer and passion and if you pull all those leaves over you you're protected but I didn't come to do that I, I came to talk to fathers and ask fathers do you know how to protect your family nest because the intent of the serpent is to poison and destroy your family relationship amen brother Bob that's good preaching and so if you're the father bird how do you know to protect your nest well you know before you do something you always make a disclaimer so I'm going to make two disclaimers before I start this this morning first of all I fail all the time I am not an expert I mess up awfully I have been trying for 48 and a half years to get this thing right and I mess up all the time so I do not claim to be an expert I got lots of failings now Edith is doing it really well but I don't do so well and the second thing I have to tell you as a disclaimer is when I talk to you about what I'm about to talk to you, I'm talking from a male perspective. I can't think like a woman. I, 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 I don't understand your perspective. And, and, and all I can do is speak from my own perspective. It's kind of like the joke I heard of the Lord coming to a man and saying, you know, you've really been good lately. In fact, you've been excellent and just tell me what you want. I'm going to do something special for you. And the guy said, well, Lord, you know I hate to fly and I don't like boats. So what I want you to do, I want to go to Hawaii and I want you to build me a bridge from California to Hawaii so I won't have to go on a boat and won't have to fly. And the Lord said, really? You know, that is so selfish. And, and, and that, that is so petty. I want to do something for you. I want you to take some time, think about it, and come tap back and tell me something really that you want that's really important. And the man thought, came back and said, I'll tell you what I want you to do for me, Lord. I want you to help me to understand women. I want you to help me to know how they think and how they feel and what causes them to cry and be so emotional. And the Lord looked at him and said, do you want two lanes or four lanes on that bridge? Amen. All right. So, that's my disclaimer. So how do we protect their nest? What I want to do is to call you, Father, back to the role God created you for. In the beginning, He created male and female. He created them. And He brought them together for a particular role. He created man first as a reflection of His glory. But when he saw Adam, he brought everything to Adam. And Adam named them and called all the animals. But in effect, he said, nothing fits. Nothing is for me. None of this satisfies. And he said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so the Lord said, I will create man for man a helpmate, a companion. Not somebody that competes, but somebody that compliments Someone that comes to man's side and takes him by the hand so that together they can fulfill the purpose of God. It is not a matter of headship and lordship. All authority flows from God anyway. It just happens to flow through man to the wife to the family. I didn't create that. God created that. Amen. It's like dancing. There's got to be somebody that takes the lead. If you're trying to dance, both of you can't lead. Hey, well, amen. I, whoa, okay. And God, God said in his creation, there has to be a pattern, and he created it. And he brought woman out of man, man's side to come along to his side to compliment him, to complete him. Man said, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. One preacher said he, he looked around at all the enemies, uh, all the animals and said none of that works and God brought him woman and he said hot diggity dog you've done it now. Amen. This works. Amen. <laughs> okay. Remember what we said in the marriage ceremony? She is created 
not out of his head to dominate him, nor out of his feet to be under him or to be trampled upon him, but out of his side so that she will be under his arm to be protected by him and near his heart to be loved and cherished by him and out of his side to be a companion and equal. So God said, man, will leave mother and father and, and, and cleave to his wife, glued together in all of their at, uh, uh, ambitions, and then they become one flesh, and it is up to man to protect that family because that's what God said. God gave Adam dominion and authority over everything that was created. He positioned him in the place where he would be the protector of that nest. And that's what the New Testament says, that he is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. She is to respect her husband. She, he is to bring up his children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and not to be harsh with them, but to lead them. I've I, I I got a lot of things. I'll just show you this right quick. To me, it's like this pair of scissors. Now, are uniquely separate and different. And they'll both stab, and they'll both cut, but not very well. It is only when they are joined together. It's only when each part does what it is supposed to do that the scissors work. And it's the same way in our relationship with one another. And the enemy's desire is to destroy that. And so let me quickly show you in that, in that garden setting what happened. The enemy comes in and tempts Eve. I want to ask you a question. Where was Adam? He had dominion and authority over all the creatures that God had created. God had given him the position to protect his nest. He had dominion and authority over that serpent, but he wasn't there. The man was out of place. And because the man was out of place, the woman was misplaced or displaced. She was fulfilling a role she was never called to fulfill. She wasn't supposed to deal with the serpent. Adam was supposed to deal with the serpent. And because she was displaced, God was replaced with her own selfish desires and materialism. And because man was out of place and Eve was displaced and God was replaced, the children was misplaced. They went out from the presence of God. And ever since then, it's the same thing. The enemy is seeking to destroy your nest and only the father bird can protect that nest because that is the role God's given you. And this is the role God's given you. It is threefold. First of all, the father bird is to be the priest of his own family. Father, you are to be the spiritual head and the, the spiritual leadership in your family. Amen. Job prayed for his family. Abraham prayed for his family. Jacob prophesied over his sons. Paul said Timothy was a son in the Lord. The father is the priest. He is the pontifex. He is the bridge builder. He has one hand reaching up to God, the other hand reaching down to his family and bringing the two together. Deuteronomy 6 says, teach your children. You heard that last week. Ephesians 6 says, to provoke not your children to wrath. Do not treat them harshly, but, but bring them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Take them by the hand and lead them to the master. You are to be the spiritual leader of your family, and you're to do it by example. And immediately some of you guys say, well, you know, I'm not inclined that way. Tough cookies. You could have chose to be celibate. You didn't have to get married. Oh, now you really got quiet on me. You made the decision to be married. And once you made that decision, you gave up all the excuses not to be the spiritual leader of your family. Whether you chose it or not, or knew it or not, God called you to be the priest. Amen. Secondly, He's called you to be the provider, to work physical, the sweat of your brow, the toll of the ground to provide for your family. He that does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel. You are to provide materially, but you're to provide emotionally because they are value. You are to value them and treasure them as the gift of God, to value their worth. You are to see that they are provided for. 
that the home is a place of safety and security and peace. And guys, we struggle with this because if we're not careful, we get this all out of balance. We get so involved in providing materially that we miss the important things of our family. It's kind of like this clip I want you to see. It's a song called Don't Miss Your Life. Yeah, I think the hardest part of what we do is just being gone so much. I mean, you're absent all the time. You miss so many things. So I miss taking them to school. I miss their laughter. I miss, just miss everything. Say, come home, Daddy. Come home, Daddy. Say, I miss you. I miss you. Bye, McKenna. Bye, I'm on a plane to the west coast, laptop on my tray, paper spread across my seat, a big deadline to make. An older man sitting next to me said, sorry to intrude, thirty years ago my busy friend, I was you. I made a ton of money and I climbed up the ladder. Yeah, I was Superman. Now what does it matter? I missed the first steps my daughter took. The time my son played Captain Hook in Peter Pan. I was in New York, said, sorry, son, that has to work. I missed the father-daughter dance. The first home run, no second chance to be there. When he crossed the plate, the moment's gone. Now it's too late. Fame and fortune come with a heavy price. Son, don't miss your life. <laughs> Funny you should say that I was sitting at the gate. My daughter called, she made straight A's, and they're off to celebrate. Scrolling through the pictures of my little family My daughter with her mom and friends Not a single one with me They know I love them I know they know I care The truth is half the time I'm not even there I missed our fourth and fifth anniversary Our girl was early by Her first day of school, man, we're kind of crazy fool. Let's such precious moments pass. We all know time goes way too fast. Hold on tight, cause it don't happen twice. Don't miss your life. When I get off this plane, I'll buy a turnaround ticket. Saturday. it all in perspective of what's really important. You're to be the priest and the provider and you're to be the protector. Physically, yes. Emotionally, from unrealistic expectations. I could give Miriam Joseph how he was willing to shield her from the societal smears and insults when she was found to be pregnant. But he protected her. Spiritually, you're to protect your family as Jesus did. He gave himself up for the church. He put aside his own rights. So how do you express that? How do you protect your nest? Well, I, I thought about the Gulf War, Governor uh, General Schwarzkopf, and he said that the best defense is an offense. 
And you remember how they fought that battle? They called it shock and awe. Such an overpowering, whelming attack of shock and display of awe that the enemy would be repelled and the battle would be won. And so if I had time, I would do both. Shock is for the man. And awe, that's the woman's part. Maybe sometime you'll let me come back and do that part. But this is the way the man protects his nest, this acronym, shock. The S stands for selfless love. The Bible said Jesus loved the church, Ephesians 5, and he gave himself up for it or her. And the Bible says that men, you are to love your wife, cherish her like Christ loved the church, and give yourself up for it. It's a unique word. It's the word in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is agape love. It is not love because of. That's the way we love. I love you because you're pretty. I love you because you take care of me. I love you because you're a good cook. I love you because you give me sex. We love because of. What if that changes? What if she's no longer pretty? What if she's no longer healthy? What if you have to take care of her? What if she burns the food? We love because not God. God loves in spite of. Agape love says you love and seek the best for the object of your affection without regard for cost to yourself because that's the way he loved you. He was willing to give up his only son so that you could be saved. He loved you without regard for the cost to yourself, to himself. And that's the way he said you're to love your wife. In fact, one man put it like this. He said it is a love in which the happiness of another is essential to your own. It's not love if, or not love and, or not love but, or not love if you do. It is unconditional. It is I love you. I learned it from the Italians up in Pennsylvania when I was there this summer, or this spring. They said when they want to say I love you, they use the, 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 the Italian word TMO, which means I love But when they're really serious, and they want to get married, they don't use that. They use te voglio bene, which means I want what is best for you. I want your good. That's God's kind of love. And we're to love her as she is, warts and all. Not what you want her to be, what you can make her to be, or what you can get out of her. You just love her, period, with God's kind of love. Oh, boy, you really got quiet. The best example, and I don't watch a lot of movies. The best example I know. Anybody ever seen Ghost? I, that's the most moving movie. I, I, it, it. Do you remember the, one of those climactic scenes when he comes back from the dead in order to protect the one that he loves from the murderer? Remember? And, and, and he comes through. Whoopie good, but that's not who I choose to come through. But and they sing that. I need your love. You remember that? A love so great, a love so selfless, a love so much like God's that he's willing to come back from the dead to protect. And one of you would say, yeah, if my wife looked like Demi Moore, I'd come back too. Guess what? She is your Demi Moore. She is the one God put with you. She is the one that came to your side. She is the one that's come to hold your hand. And you're to love her with that selfless, unconditional love. You are to value her unique wives, uh, her unique gifts. You're to love your wife, and she is to respect. So you have selfless love. The H is heart and hand. Galatians chapter 2, that you bear one another burdens, offer each other your hand. You give her your heart, not half-hearted, but all of it. Your total commitment. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. You're not constantly looking for something better. You give her the totality of your heart. Don't you remember what you said? For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. In sickness and in health, till death do us part. Don't you remember the way you said it? That you will cleave only unto her forsaking all others so long as you both shall live 
you're going to protect your nest, you don't only love with a selfless love, but you give her heart. And then you lend a hand. You don't love just in word and in tongue, but in deed and truth. And you begin to reach out your hand to help in acts of love. You participate. You give up your own rights and your own pleasures. You don't go hibernate in the man cave or hang out with the guys. Your first responsibility is to her and the family. S-H. And the O is omit. There are certain things you have to omit out of your life. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. In other words, you omit criticism, caustic remarks. You don't violate her confidence. You don't make public jokes about her, which destroys her trust and her love. Man, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. And you omit comparisons. You don't compare to somebody else. You, guys, you know why porn is so bad? Because you know what it says to your life? You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not exciting enough. You're not woman enough. For me, I have to have something and someone else. Man, you ought to shout it, amen at that. Get realistic. She's not a supermodel. She's your wife. She doesn't have a personal trainer. She doesn't have thousands of dollars for plastic surgery. She's a mom. So quit trying to compare her with somebody else for she'll feel she can never measure up. And when you do, when you fail, when you omit criticism and omit comparison, that produces confidence. That brings security and trust that you won't violate her heart. You won't violate her hopes. You will hold her heart, but you'll never hurt her. And then the C is consideration. Be a kind, tenderhearted one another. Be considerate of her, of her feelings. Guys, pick up your clothes. Put down the lid. How hard is that? You've got to be considerate of what she wants. And then your capacity, compassionate. You're sensitive to her needs. The Bible says you treat her like your own body. You pamper, cherish, nurture her because when you do it to her, you're doing it to yourself. And then you learn to communicate, talk, actually spend time with one another listening. Heard a, a real true report the other day uh, of a man and wife sitting in other words in other rooms, texting one another and writing messages on Facebook. It's your wife. She doesn't have to have an appointment. Your kids don't have to beat down the door. Yeah, I know how hard it is to learn to communicate. In fact, it's kind of like this clip. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me. And I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head. And it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way.
you that are not married have no earthly idea why that's so funny. One day you will. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I had to do that one. Uh, you have to learn to communicate, and it's difficult. Compliment, lavish praise on her, encourage her, give her heart, celebrate the good qualities. Look, this is not a compliment. You don't say to a person, you sweat less than any fat person I've ever seen. That's not a compliment. Learn to compliment the good qualities. Lavish praise on your wife and your family for their good points, right? Amen. Amen. You tell them that you love them. You love them more than anything. You develop a romantic ritual. After the prayer, a kiss. After the, develop something. Mine is very simple. I never end a phone call with my wife or my children that I don't say something. I love you. Develop it. Practice it. Compliment it. Because when you do that, what you're doing is building confidence. They can trust you. Jamie Buckingham tells a story when he was a quarterback for his high school team, and, and it was the biggest game of the season. In the middle of the game, he got his bell rung. If you've ever played football, know what I'm talking about, a stinger. He, he didn't even know where he was. The coach calls a play, and he doesn't know where he is. So when he turns the hand off, there's nobody there, fumbles the ball, the other team scores. And when he comes off, he's still dazed. And as big, burly coaches, he comes to the sideline. His coach takes his fist and begins to pound on his shoulder pads and curse him at the top of his voice. Jamie Buckingham said, my father was a little guy that wore glasses that raised oranges. But he said, the next day when I came to practice, he said, I heard some commotion under the stands. And he said, all of a sudden I turned the corner and my coach, big as he was, his back was against the wall and he was on his tiptoes. And my little father that came up about to his chest had his finger in his chest and he was poking him in the chest and he was telling him in no uncertain terms you will never treat my son like that again and the coach was saying yes sir yes sir whatever you say why because what you're doing when you're considerate and compassionate and you learn to communicate and you compliment you're building the confidence that you're going to stand for your family against any attack of the enemy and whatever you do put some comedy in your family Oh, dude, we all got our own private jokes in the family. I just happen to be the butt of most of them. But I'm not going to tell you all the jokes. I'd violate confidences if I did that. But I can tell you one, the biggest joke in the family is my singing. And now even my grandsons. You know, I took them to the Walmart to buy some goldfish, and on the way home, I put some 60s music in, which is real music, and I was going to introduce them to it, and I started singing with them. And when Devin got home, he picked up the phone and said, Papa, don't sing anymore. By the time we got home, all the goldfish were dead. I mean, <laughs> and the last one is the K, and that's kindness. Be tenderhearted, gentle. Love covers a multitude of sins, of falling short, because we all do it. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It, it, treat your wife like a rose, and if you treat her like a rose, and if you treat her right, she'll blossom, and if you don't, she wills. But be kind, forgiving, because we all fail. I wish I could tell you I was perfect. Edith could tell you I'm not. I miss it all the time. And I need kindness. And because I know my own fallibilities and failures, I need to extend kindness to others. I'm not pretending with you this morning. We're not perfect. I don't pretend to be. I've failed so many times. There's time I've let my ministry get in the way of my family in fact Steve's not here but Stephanie is but the first thing I'd like to do right now is to apologize to them because there were so many times that I didn't provide the safety the protection the security 
than I should have. And the second thing I'd like to do is say thank you to my wife. She's put up with me for 48 years. She has been my helpmate, the one that comes to my side and compliments and takes my hand. I've always thought about ways to celebrate my wife. And though I can't sing, I love music. And there's two songs that always stood out that I would probably play right now. One of them is You're the Wind Beneath My Wings. And only Kenny Rogers can sing that one right. And the other is a song I heard called You Raise Me Up to Stand Upon Mountains. But I heard another one. So would you indulge me for just a minute? And on this Father's Day, I want to say to Stephanie and Steve, I'm sorry. I wish I were a better father. And I want to say to Edith, I love you with everything that's within me. And I don't know a lot of things. But I know this. I'm nothing without you. Sometimes, and I lose my faith And so caught up in a place that's so unkind But you find me and you somehow set me free prepared two sheets that fathers you'll receive as you go out. 
10 things your wife wants to hear you say. And seven, I didn't have time to get into provoking the children, but seven things that will help you not to provoke your children. I've prepared that for the men. How to protect your nest. Father Burton knew. Selfless love. Heart and hand. Omit. Communicate. Be considerate, compassionate. Be kind. And when you pull that leaf over your nest, Satan's repelled. Purpose and the plan of God's fulfilled. So I'm going to call you, dads, to do something. If your nest is close to you, this is Father's Day. And this is time to get close to your nest and to put your arm around your wife and around your kids. And if you haven't done so in a long time, it'd be a good time just to say, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm going to protect this nest. Father, we thank you that you've given us the scriptural pattern to repel every attack of the enemy. Help us to love like you love. Help us to fulfill our responsibility. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.